titled it when we started, you know, made right, because what we learn is that I can't make myself right. You can't make yourself right. You know, Jesus is the one who makes us right. Amen. And uh, it, it's such an exciting study and it's making more and more sense to me, you know, every week as we read through it and reread through it, you know, as to why the book of Romans has played such a major role in, in every great revival that has ever occurred uh, in the history of the church. I titled this morning's message, uh, Sin Versus Grace, uh, because you, you get a really good idea as you read through this chapter. It, it's, a, it's a bridge, you might say, chapter five, building into what, uh, I mean, the most exciting you know, uh, text, and we've had some pretty exciting text before uh, today, uh, as we get into chapter six, seven, and eight over the next few weeks. I mean, that's really the, the heart uh, of what Paul's message is here in the book of Romans. And so this, this kind of sets the stage. Like I said, it builds the bridge uh, into understanding um, all that the Lord uh, desires for us. And so we'll read verses 12 through 21. And uh, we'll kind of do this as an overview of this text here this morning. Um, we'll read it and we'll pray. And again, I'm reading from the NLT translation. Um, read along with whatever translation that um, you're using there. Uh, it says in verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. And so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Or you could say a known law. It says, still everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol. He's a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many, through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one of man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though you were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. And Father, as we come before you this morning, we do thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we could spend a million lifetimes and we, we couldn't scratch the depth of what 
you have done for us. But Lord, we open our hearts to you afresh today, and we ask you to teach us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who makes knowing you possible. We pray that, Lord, you'd help us to grow in the knowledge of grace and that, God, it would impact our lives in such a way that, Lord, not only would we walk out of here today with just a greater appreciation for who you are and what you've done, but, Lord, that it would have an impact on the way that, Lord, we would live our lives this week, that we wouldn't be caught up in all the distractions of this world, but, Lord, we would learn more and more how to fix our gaze upon heaven, to store up our treasures there, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. We love you, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the surety of your word, that we can trust your word. Thank you that it's, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. And so we ask you today, Lord Jesus, open up our minds as we open up our hearts to you. Help us to receive all that you have for us today. And we ask these things for your glory and for our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, can you think of, you know, you see the contrast here in this between, you know, Adam and, and Jesus. You know, we say, you know, as, as sin entered into the world through one man, it says death spread to all men. You know, people read that and they're going, dang it. Why am I held responsible for something I didn't even do? And, and it's a great question. And theologians have wrestled with that question for centuries. One of the easiest ways, I guess, to kind of explain it is, you know, we have the, the Olympics going on right now, right? And we, we pick men and women to represent us. They're not us, but they represent us. They go as, as you know, the United States of America. So in one sense, if they win, guess what? We win, right? And if they lose, they lose, right? That's how we are. No, that's how I, that's how I am with the Super Bowl. You know, do you have a favorite? Anybody have a favorite team in the Super Bowl? And who's in the Super Bowl? The Rams and the who? Bengals. Oh, yeah, the Rams and the Bengals. Okay. So people ask me, Pastor Mike, you know, uh, do you have a favorite team? And I go, oh, yeah, I'll tell you after the game next week. And I go, no, I, and I've told you this. I go, it's, it's God's honest truth. My favorite team is the team that wins because I got tired of losing. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously, because it just, I mean, I would be bummed out. I See, I grew up in an athletic home, and so, you know, I mean, you don't practice to lose. You practice to win, right? But somebody's got to lose. And, and I've been on enough losing teams, you know? And then you just, you fall in love. And mine, because with California, I'd pick all the California teams. The Dodgers, I grew up loving the Dodgers. You know what the Dodgers would do? They were the best team in baseball until July. And then after July, boom, you know? And I just got tired of getting my heart ripped out. Rams were the same way, you know? And so I just decided, you know what? There's too much pain in this. So well, that's what we do. Go with the winner. I mean, so after the game next week, people are going to go jumping up and down. I'm going to look whoever, whatever city they're in. I'll put that color on. <laughs> yeah. And you're excited. But we look at Adam and we're just going, gosh, I don't want to be connected to Adam. But Adam is, you could say this, Adam is the best. He's, you know, you go, well, I wouldn't have done that. And you go, yes, you would have. Adam represents the best. He was, he was the best. So he's representation of all of us. And because Adam sinned, guess what? Our team, we've all sinned too. But there's something where sin abounds, what Paul is alluding to here, grace does all the more. And I want you to think about this for a second, because one person can make a difference in a tremendous way, can't they? Can you think of, and you don't need to yell these out, but just think for a second, 
Think about world history and, and your knowledge of world history. When you look back, you can think of specific people who played a tremendous role in either positive or negative impacts on this world, right? Whether it was inventions that people made that were good or people that were in leadership, you know, that, you know, I think of, you know, just one off the top of my head, I think of someone like Adolf Hitler, one person be responsible for, you know, the lives of, you know, close to 10 million Jews. You go, wow, one person, you go, that could, that much evil. And then you think about, you know, again, people that have done tremendous good. And like I said, you can probably think of all kinds of people along the way, but it's not, it's not hundreds and it's not thousands that come to mind. It's, it's one here and it's one here and it's one here. And, and I read a quote um, this week as I was studying and I wanted to share it with you because, it, because I want you to, to personalize this a little bit here, but it was so profound. It, it said this, it said, one smile can start a friendship. One word can end a fight. One look can save a relationship, and one person can change a life. And I want you to think about that with regard to your life. So don't worry about world history. Just think about your, your life personally. Can you think about people who've made a positive impact in your life? You can think about also people who've had a negative impact in your life. It's usually not a lot of people. It's one here, one here, one here. And so what Paul is doing is he's making this clear is that, you know, we're all in trouble, you know, because of the sin of Adam. Because Adam's sin, death then came into the world and it spread to all men and all men died. But Jesus Christ came into this world. Here's the difference though. With the sin of Adam, all men died. Does that make sense? Because death spread to all men. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus died so that all could live, right? But the question that begs to be asked today, do all men live because Jesus died? And the answer is what? No. And there's the difference. Sin spread to all men, therefore all have died. But Jesus, on the other hand, died so that all men can live, but not all men do because there's personal responsibility that comes with that. It's called a choice. It's called... You know, who do you identify with? Yes, we all identify with Adam in, in our original state. But the ultimate is that where sin abounds, guess what? What is he telling us? Grace did all the more. And so that's what Paul, you know, is going to bring us to here, you know, in our study, you know, here in chapter five. I, I want to go back for just a second because um, it's been a couple of weeks. I was in Tatsby last week and, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you, you know, at the beginning of, of, Romans chapter five, there was a key word there, you know, because it all has to do with this identity because most of us struggle with our identity in Christ Jesus. We understand what God says about us. And I walked you through that, that even while we were still sinners, you know, that Jesus knew, God knew, you know, that we were what, you know, as we read through this, that we were, we were ungodly, that we were sinners, right? That we were without strength, and the ultimate I shared with you is that we were enemies of God, right? And God knew all those things about us. And yet it says he still loved us. That, that's, that's an amazing love. That's an amazing grace you know, that, that we sing about. But he uses the word, you know, and I, and I shared it with you. It was the word, you know, access. Is that that word access, like I said, in the English language, doesn't do it any justice because we think of access as like a door, 
but it really has to do with a, with a secure position. See, when Jesus presents us before the Father because of what Jesus has done for us, he presents us as royalty. So when God looks upon you, he sees you through the eyes of his son. Like I said, all your sin and my sin was nailed to the cross and righteousness was imputed to us. So the righteousness of Jesus is how God sees you. See, and that's important because we don't necessarily see ourselves that way. And so Paul, like I said, makes it clear that, you know, again, what we can identify with is, yes, I get it. I am without strength. I get it that I am ungodly. I get it that I'm a sinner. And I get it that I've been an, an enemy of God. But because God is rich in his love and his grace towards me and you, Christ died for us. And with that shedding of his blood, he made it possible. It didn't guarantee it. See, when Adam sinned, the guarantee is we're all guilty. I think you get that, right? But because Jesus died, that doesn't make us all innocent. Only those who what? Who come to him by faith. And that's what Paul is saying. The same faith that was accredited to Abraham, right? We said, and Paul used this. He said, well, you know, look at Abraham. What, what made Abraham so special? It was, the, it was Abraham came to the place and he said, what? I'm dead. It was, Sarah's dead. There's nothing within Abraham. There was nothing within Sarah that could produce what God had promised. And he said, look at the stars of the heaven. And you'll see, you're going to have more children than all that. And he's like, how can it be? I'm dead. I don't have the capacity. My wife is dead. She doesn't have the capacity. And then God's going, that's exactly what I want you to understand and know. Because then it's not you but what greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. And so Paul just keeps bringing us back to this point because, you know, what we see, you know, everything that's good about God that, that we saw that, you know, we're the opposite of that. That's why Paul would say, you know, you're without strength. Is God without strength? And you go, no, he's, he's omnipotent, right? And you go, we were ungodly. We, we were the antithesis of what God is. We were the very opposite of it. We were sinners. We've missed the mark of perfection. And, and, and again, being a, a, an enemy of God, not because you declared yourself or I declared myself an enemy of God, because God said that we were his enemies. I mean, so, so we were in trouble here. And yet, what did Jesus do in that moment? He stepped in. And he chose to go to a cross and die for us in our place so that in him we could become the righteousness of of God. You know, I, I did a memorial service yesterday, and it was really interesting. Um, I had had a connection with this dad uh, through my boys. My boys participated in sports with his son. He, his son, he has one son. He's the same age as, as my two boys. And this kid is a great athlete. And this dad was, I mean, you know, he was so proud of his son. He loved his son. You know, and it was such a great segue into this because every person who shared yesterday was talking about how much this father loved his son and that, you know, he wanted everything for his son, that his son was his pride and joy. His son was his reason for being his son, you know, played, uh, he went on to play division one football. And I mean, he followed him. They lived in Bakersfield. They moved out of Bakersfield to pursue his football career. Then he goes on to, you know, junior college. Then he goes to the division one. He's going to a division one college out of state. And the dad's a, a truck driver and he's driving, you know, it's just one of those those stories, you know, it's a great story of a father and son, you know, relationship, a, a tremendous love. But it, it became so sad to me as I listened 
you know, to story after story. And they said, basically, all the friends said, you know, he's in heaven today because he's such a good guy. And, and, and I'll tell you this, it, it breaks my heart to be in a moment like that. I want to give you kind of a glimpse into the heart of a pastor. So I'm listening to these stories, and this is one of the worst days. And I tell people this all the time. I go, you know, if you're at a funeral or a memorial service, I mean, God bless you just for showing up. Because who wants to deal with death, right? We're not, we're not wired for that. And so just to be there, you know, is something. And then to stand up and speak, you know, for someone. Ah, man, public speaking for some, they'd rather die, actually, than, than speak in public, right? And so these people, they're pouring their hearts out. But when you start getting to the realm of theology, and all of a sudden you start going, you know, the reason he's in heaven today is because he was a good guy. I, I can't just sit there and go, oh, I got, okay, I, I get it, God. Uh, they've just misled everybody, but, you know, but they'll understand. And I'm like, man, I gotta, how do I graciously reel this thing in? And sometimes there's just no way. And I mean, and what was said, I kind of, in a sense, I just had to go, you know what? I, I, I go, I so appreciate this. I go, but I need you to understand it. And I, and the Lord just did something that was sweet with it. It was like, I invoked the, the, the father back into the conversation. I said, if we could talk to him today, I can tell you, and what he'd want me to tell you as a pastor, what he'd want me to tell you today is there's no good people in heaven. There's only saved people in heaven. And, 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 and to help you understand it is to know this, that if you could get to heaven by being a good person, then why did Jesus have to die? Because Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. That's what he came for. He said, in the sense, good people don't need a savior, right? Healthy people don't need a doctor. But Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came for those that were in sin. And he died for them on a cross. And you know what? That goes against the grain of prideful people. Because they're going, you know, I'm, I'm something. And you go, and God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. But it was interesting because there was a couple statements that were made by people, they started to go down a road to share things that maybe weren't very flattering to the deceased. And they stopped themselves and they said, well, you know, I'm not going to say that. And so I said, when I came up at the end, I said, you know, isn't it interesting? And I said, and I appreciate that. I, I really appreciate that is that we didn't go down that road to pull out their dirty laundry, you know, that what we did today was we decided to do what? To bring out the things that that were positive and that were special, as, as scripture says, to meditate on things that are pure and lovely and praiseworthy, right? I go, but we all know there were areas of this person's life that were hidden. They were dark. They were sinful. And I go, and God knows all that. And the Bible says that it's appointed to man to die and then meet God face to face and to give an account of our life. And then another person went on and they said, you know, good things happen to good people. And I went, he died of cancer. So I said, I just have a question. I said, he died of cancer. I said, bad things happen to good people too. And I go, but in the truest sense, here we are. You know, and I told him a story about John Corson. I said, you know, one of my favorite pastors, you know, I had a conversation with him down at Costa Mesa one time. And I said, you know, early on, just talking about teaching the Bible. And he said, Mike, just remember, and I've shared this with you. And he said, you know, Whenever you read a story in the Bible and it has a good guy and a bad guy in it, just remember, you're the bad guy. 
That's the easiest way to, to read the New Testament story. He goes, you're the bad guy. And I just laughed at that, you know. And, and I shared that yesterday, and this is how they, went, they looked at me. <laughs> Nobody laughed, you know, because in that sense, it's not funny because they're going, you know, I don't want to be the bad guy. And I, and I get that when I'd read the Bible, and you were, I don't want to be the bad guy, right? But that's who Jesus came for. You know, I shared that with you a couple of weeks ago. You know, why did, why is the story of, of you know, having a guy having 100 sheep, you know, 99 sheep, and, and you, he loses one, what does he do? You know, he leaves the one, right? Or leaves the 99, he goes after the one. The one, the one, you know. A woman who has 10 coins loses one. What does she do? Tears the house upside down to find the one. The father has two sons. He loses one. What does he do? You know, he paces day and night, you know, the value you know, the one, one to God is so, so important. And you think about, you know, one person can make an impact positively. One person can make an impact negatively. And so, you know, I want you to think about this, you know, because, you know, uh, I know the gentleman, you know, as he got to the end of his life, like many people do, he struggled and that was shared. He said, you know, was I a good enough husband? Was I a good enough dad? Was I a good enough? And, he, and they'd ask him, and he goes, well, I don't feel like it. I don't. And guess what? That's good. Because what do we offer people when they come to that place and they go, you know what? I wasn't a good enough dad. You know, we want to say that about ourselves. You go, people, there's no such thing. And we don't have to have regret. You know, I think if you're an honest person, there's all kinds of regrets in this life. Thank God for heaven. Amen. Thank God for eternity. Thank God that we serve the God of the second chance. But I was able to capture that moment and say, you know, why, why did he have those feelings at the end of his life? Why was he asking people, you know, was I good enough? Was I, I go, because we all struggle in our identity. Because we know, we, we have a conscience. We, we, we're very much aware that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't need someone to tell me that. And so Paul here, and what he's going to build into, and it's why I encourage you to be here, you know, chapter 6 and 7 and 8. Man, he's just affirming, you know, God's grace and his mercy in our life and what it is to be in Christ Jesus and what that affords us. Because, again, we have a new identity in Christ. You have to determine today, are you going to find your identity in Adam apart from Jesus Christ? And I can tell you what the end result of that, right? The progression of that is death. Or do you find your, your identity in Christ Jesus? And so he's, he's going to walk us through this, you know, and I, I want to explain some of this to you. So in verse 12, he says, when Adam sinned, it said, sin entered the world. That, that's the key word there. Sin entered the world. Okay. You, you might want to highlight that, write that down. It says, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sin. See, what that tells us is until that moment when sin entered the world, guess what? The world was perfect. You don't know that world. I don't know that world because we were, we were post-Eden. It's not a serial, okay? Post-Eden. We were, we were born after the fall. We've never known what perfection is like, but Adam did. Adam did because sin entered the world. There was a time, like I said before, sin entered the world. Everything was perfect. All you and I know is a fallen world. You go back to, you know, Genesis chapter three, you know, the serpent of old, the usurper, what did he do? He promised Adam and Eve something that he couldn't deliver on. And in their rebellion against God, his authority in their life, their sin, death entered the world and death spread to all men. Hey, here's a note. 
all of us, you know, need to keep in mind today. Sin always promises more than it will deliver. Sin always promises more than it will deliver. I love this quote with regard to sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you'll want to pay. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, it is true. I mean, think about this. Every problem that you and I know is connected to sin. Every problem. I, I shared with you a few weeks ago, pretty much so many things in this world are connected to sin. I mean, think about it. How many have a, a anybody have a, a um, pest control service that comes to your house? You know, you know what the origin of that is? It's called sin, right? You know, that, that's why they, they make good money off that, right? Locksmiths, right? Why do we have locks? You know, thou shalt not what? And you go, why do we have locksmiths? You go, they profit off of a sin, a sin. I mean, if you just thought about all the things that are sin-based in this world that are just part of our lives, we just accept it as what? It's natural. I mean, but it wasn't the way that God intended it. Think about this. Every, you know, sin, every physical problem, every moral problem, every social problem, every political problem are the consequence of sin. Everything that we have. I mean, and you think about it, not only did, did man fall, but all of creation. Doesn't Romans tell us that? All of creation does what? It yearns, right? It's groaning, right? You know, you think about that, all, wanting Jesus to come back. We have what? Jesus said in the last days, the end times will be marked by pestilence, right? By earthquakes, by famines. What are those things? They're rooted in sin. How about the animal kingdom? I think about that. Created for man to have dominion over them. But what, what did God do to the animal kingdom? He put fear in them of man. Why? Because we want to eat the animals now, right? I mean, so what do they got to do? They got to run for their lives. There was a beautiful harmony that existed between man and beast, but it was severed at the fall. I mean, if you're a dog owner, any dog owners in here? You got a, I own a dog. I mean, yeah. You know, dogs, you know, we, I mean, they, they give you a glimpse of, of the harmony of what God intended, the companionship between, you know, uh, mankind and, and the animal kingdom. If you have a cat, you know what sin is all about. And that, because <laughs> cats are nothing more than just selfish creatures. Like they, they use you to feed them, to pet them, to do whatever, change their litter box or whatever. Uh, and then what? You, you want to cuddle with them or spend time. What do they do? And they just reject you, right? I mean, they look at you like, I have no time for you today. You know, maybe tomorrow, you know, or maybe at one o'clock in the morning when you're sleeping, they'll come pounce on your face, you know, but no, there's a difference between dogs and cats, but chapter five, you know, we, we, we get a really good glimpse of, of the severity of Adam's choice. You see there, in, if you're the new King James version, you can see in verse 14, 15, 19, you know, verse 14, Adam, his transgression in verse 15, the offense in verse 19, uh, disobedience, you know, we, we see, you know, the outgrowth of that, um, Again, when you think about, you know, the problem, you know, of mankind, it's what? It's always tied to sin. If you take away sin, what do you have? Paradise. Take away sin, you got nothing but paradise. As long as there's sin in the world, guess what? We're doomed. I have my notes here. Sin never appears irresistible until you try to break free from it. So true. And so what Paul is wanting to reveal to us here, you know, in Romans chapter 5, is our success is, is as Christians, it's our freedom that's it's found in Christ Jesus. 
We've been set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day even from the very presence of sin. But that's a freedom that comes in Christ. You look down there in verse 18, it says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ one act. See, we're talking about one person, one person, one act. One act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. You think in your own life, one act is all it takes, right? One act. One act can lead you down the right road. And it was one act that saved you from hell. And that was opening your heart to Jesus Christ. Sin has a devastating result. Again, one person's, you know, uh, sin caused death to everything and everyone. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 puts it like this. Just as everyone dies, <laughs> that's what Paul is making clear because says we all belong to Adam. He was our representative. Go USA, USA. Yeah. Uh, he was the best that we had to offer. He's, he's representation of us. Said, but everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. You, you need to get a new, new captain. That, that's, what, that's what Paul is alluding to here. Because of Adam, all die. Not some or a few, but all. But everyone born in this world, they're impacted by sin. That old expression, no man's an island, it's, it's so true. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to reverse the curse. Amen? And, and I love that when you think about it. I put in bold print in my notes here, God's grace doesn't just forgive us of our sin. God's grace frees us from our sin. The power of God's grace in our life. And that's what Paul is wanting us to grow in, to understand you know, the difference between Adam and Jesus is the difference between night and day. Why do we need to understand sin though? We'll talk a lot about sin today because sin is deadly. That's why it's important not to gloss over it. You know, sin, what we see here, and think about this today, sin, what do we say? What does sin do? It entered, right? So you might write that down. I mean, if you want to understand the, the progression of sin today in your own life, and why dealing with sin and, and, and addressing sin and, and doing it soberly, sober-mindedly, because it not only, if you think about this progressively, it doesn't just enter, but it does progress. But what did Jesus say? He said, a little leaven does what? What does a little leaven do? Leavens the whole what? Loaf of bread, yeah. And so what are we supposed to do? Get it out, get it out. Look what the Apostle Paul writes there in verse 20. He says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Let me read it to you in the New King James Version, verse 20. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Sin abounds is to say that sin, what? It grows. It progresses. It doesn't just enter, but it grows. If you don't deal with it, you know, I love that expression. Toy with sin and sin will what? It'll toy with you. Those who toy with sin end up being, you know, toyed by sin. You know, the law of God did what? It caused sin to abound. You know, people, the law never justified anybody. That's what, you know, Paul wanted to make sure that we understood. The law never justified anyone. When the law was given, what did it do? It revealed sin more and more and more. And so how did sin abound? Because of the law? 
Because the law revealed what? God's values. It reveals his character. It reveals his heart. It reveals his nature. The law reveals what God intended you know, for man to be. But guess what? It was, it was given to it after the fall. Had it happened before the fall, you would have just seen man living in perfect harmony with God. But the law was to bring us back into a place where we understood our need for God, not, not our justification of life apart from God. But because of sin, because sin entered the law and didn't justify us, the law magnified, it ends up magnifying the offense. How do I explain that to you? The best way I can think in my truck, some of your vehicles has this. When I'm driving down the road, there's a little white box on my dash, which I totally despise. And when I'm going down a road and I turn onto another road, that little white box changes. And then on the going another road, it changes again. If I get on the freeway, it changes again. It always tells me what the speed limit is on the street that I'm on. And I want you to know, I hate that box. Because when I get pulled over, and I have, the police officer, he's not dumb, or she's not dumb. They, they know, and they go, sir, uh, so what, do you know why I pulled you over? No, officer. Because <laughs> donuts weren't on sale. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, don't know. I, go, um, I go, well, probably I was speeding. He's like, yeah, see that little white box right there? Sound like my wife. Yes, I know there's a little white box on there. Well, what does it say? Nothing right now. I got the engine off. Uh, what did it say? I'm thinking it said 50. What were you doing? 50 plus. I don't know. What, what do you say? I mean, you're the one who pulled me over. Um, well, I'm closer to 60. 50, 60. So what does it do? So when I'm looking at that, we're driving down the road. I don't need a policeman in my car, right? I've got that little law right there. And it's telling me, what am I doing? You're breaking the law. You're breaking the law. The law never was given to justify us. The law was given to what? To prove our guilt. And yet people go, you know, we got to live by the law. You go, that's not what the law was for. Like I said, who, who's ever, you know, been pulled over by the police and say, hey, we'd like to bring into court when you get to court they just everybody stands up and applauds and they go we just want to thank you for being an upstanding citizen thanks for coming in today claude what do we have for a prize for you know pastor mike because he came to court today we've got ginzu knives yes to a and you go no they go you're here because what you're a criminal you're guilty you got a citation you pay the fine right that's what the law did the law was to demonstrate we were guilty before God. And so what Paul is wanting us to know here, you know, in chapter five, like I said, he's going, yes, you, you're forgiven. You, you're, you have access to God. You're, you're royalty, you know, but sin is in the world and, and, and sin is working against you. It's trying desperately to do what? It, it wants to enter. Sin wants to enter. Sin wants to do what? It wants to progress. It, it wants to grow. And ultimately, what does sin want to do? You think about this. So there's three stages here of sin and also of grace. They're going to be the exact same thing, but the opposite is sin entered the world. And what did sin do? It spread. That's what it wants to do. Do you understand that? When sin enters, you don't just go, oh, it's just, I know it's sin, but you know, 
What does it do? It spreads. It progresses. One, it enters. Two, it progresses. Three, what is it seeking to do? Reign. Control. That's what it wants to do. Sin will reign. It will control you. You ever been controlled by sin? Think about your old life. You know, just like a puppet for the devil, right? That, that, that's what happens in all of our, our lives. I mean, think of COVID. What, what was everybody's fear, you know, of contracting COVID? You get the COVID virus, right? Comes in, you know, just little, little tiny, you know, macro, micro. I mean, just this little tiny, tiny thing. And then once it's in your system, what does it seek to do? Progress. Until what? Until it rains. And if you don't have the antibodies, you don't have some ability to fight it off, what does it do? It kills you. That's what it, that's what it does. That's why having the antibodies, you know, it's like whether it's a, a vaccine that you get or you have natural antibodies. I mean, if you don't have those, <laughs> you, you will lose the fight. That, that's what sin does. It enters and it can be the tiniest, tiniest particle. As we talked about, you know, wearing a mask. What was that? A mask wasn't going to do anything. Why? Because the virus couldn't be contained by a mask. I mean, it's such a small particle, it could, it could pass through it. And you go, wow. And then once it's in, it spreads. And then once it spreads, it rains. And once it rains, well, it brought death for the most part. Unless it what? Could be brought under control. And the same thing is true, you think, of our own lives. Unless we come, you know, to the antidote. And the antidote is a personal relationship with God in Christ. Jesus comes into your heart. What does he do? You know, he enters. And then what do you do? You grow, right? Christ progresses in you. And then ultimately, what does he do? He reigns. He reigns. He has complete control. And that's a process of what? Dying to self and living to God. But it's the exact same process, you might say, in that. He enters. He progresses. He reigns. Verse 21, it says, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like I said, sin rules, sin takes over, sin reigned. And man, and we see it. We know how it was before we came to Christ. Sin controlled our life. I mean, sin is never happy until what? Until it has complete control. That, that's what the devil wants of your life. He wants complete. He doesn't want part of your life. He doesn't want some of it. He wants all of it. I mean, there's a battle between our new nature and our sin nature. You know, I love that expression. You probably heard it like I have, you know, comparing our, our sin nature, you know, to our new nature. It's like there's two dogs, you know, it represents our lives are made up of two dogs and we only have enough food to feed one. And so we have to learn how to what? To starve one and feed the other. You know, it, it, there's no way, there's no way to accomplish both. And so the consequence, you know, that we see, you know, of sin go all the way back to, to verse 12 there. It says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. I mean, that's the ultimate devastation of sin is what? It's death. You know, when we talk about life, I mean, people know they're going to die, but who sits around talking about it? And we want to talk about ways that we can live, right? But we're all going to die. 
we're all going to die. This is a topic that, you know, people are afraid of. They, they don't want to address it. They don't, they don't want to deal with it. Verse 14, you know, it says this, says, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who has yet to come. Like I said, sin doesn't just enter, it kills. One leads to another. It's appointed a man to die. Adam brought sin, but what did Jesus do? He brought life. Look there in verse 15, it says, but there is great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So more powerful then sin and death is God's grace in Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? God's arm is not too short that it cannot save. His ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. And that's what happens. See, because we listen to the old self. We listen to our old, well, you know, Pastor Mike, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Whatever you've done, where sin abounds, what does it tell us? Grace does all the more. I mean, the enemy is not God's equal, you know, only evil. The enemy of our soul is a created being. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in this world. And you think of it as hopeless as sin is, there is a remedy. And that remedy is Jesus Christ. But re remember, don't, don't lose this. When Adam sinned, death came into the world and death spread to who? All men. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he died and the gift of his salvation was available. He died for everyone, right? He died for everyone. But does that salvation impact everyone in the same degree that, that Adam's death brought death to everyone? You go, no, because now there's choice. There's choice. Somehow in all this, God knows, we don't, but God leaves a choice to us. To follow him, to walk with him. Verses 16 through 19, it goes, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who what? Receive it. That's the question. Have you received the forgiveness of your sin? Don't think like many people do. They go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Jesus died. You know, yes, he did die. And he died for the sins of the world. But you have to open your heart to him. You have to receive the forgiveness. You have to come to him by faith. You have to admit like Abraham. Remember, Abraham is the father of faith. You got to admit you're dead. There's nothing in you. I mean, you think about that. There's nothing in you that makes you attractive to God. You know what makes you attractive to God? What's in him. Think about that. It's not what's in me or you that makes us attractive to God. It's what's in him. That's why when you, you see people that, that are gracious and compassionate, you go, the person that they're serving had nothing to offer them. It's what was in their heart. That led them. They were what? They were, they were compassionate. They saw that they were in need. It was their heart. It was God's heart. His heart is what's good. It's not what was in me, what's in you. 
It says, but even greater, it says, is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and will live in triumph over sin, death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Verse 18 there, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Verse 19 goes on, it says, because one person disobeyed God and many became sinners, but because of one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. See, sin, we, we see it there at the cross. Sin was abounding when they were yelling, crucify, crucify, right? And we were seeing grace abound from the cross where Jesus cried out, what? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so Paul lays out here in, in Romans 5 a choice. Who are you going to identify? Adam or Jesus? Again, the choice is ours. Only those who receive the forgiveness of God by faith in Christ will enjoy eternal life. It's not universalism. Because Jesus died, therefore all are saved. Not true. No. Not true. I put in my notes here, the power of forgiveness isn't only in that it's received. The power of forgiveness is in that it's offered. God offers it to us in Christ Jesus. And again, grace is never offered to the righteous. Grace is only offered to the sinner. That's what makes grace so amazing. Amen. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. What is mercy? By definition, what do we say? Mercy is not getting what I do deserve, right? And grace is what? Getting what I don't deserve. Aren't you glad that God offers us both mercy and grace? I deserve hell, but he's offering us heaven. By what? By placing our hope and our trust in him. You know, and I know people struggle with their own identity. You know, we have an identity crisis in this world. I mean, we see it all around us. How do you identify? Do you identify with yourself in Adam? You go, oh, Pastor Mike, you don't understand all the things I've done, my failure, my past, my past, my past, my past. You go, hey, you need to get a new identity. You get a new, need a new national head. You know, you don't, you don't need to identify with Adam. You need to identify with Jesus Christ, who took your place, who took my place upon the cross. Sin isn't conquered by force. It's conquered by grace. God's grace is amazing grace. It's not what you do. It's what Christ has done for you. You think about it. Our condemnation, we're condemned on, on three grounds. One, Adam. His sin is credited to you and me. But we're also sinners ourselves by practice. But you know what our greatest sin is? You know what the greatest slap in the face is? Is our rejection of the gospel. Our rejection of the free gift. Have you ever tried to offer somebody something that you knew needed it in their pride, they wouldn't take it? And, and it, it breaks your heart and it makes you angry too at the same time. And it's a righteous thing because you're going, you need it. You, you just not see it. And you think that's exactly what God has with regard to us, that we would reject so great a salvation. And if we do so, the Bible says, all that's left is what? Judgment. Fearful judgment. That's what John would write in John 3, 16 through 18. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, one again, so that everyone 
who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18 goes on. It says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in Jesus, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So what do we do? Paul said it best in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That's the good news of the gospel, amen? Paul said, the choice is yours. It's yours. Identify with Adam. Identify with Jesus. Sin versus grace. And guess who wins? Grace. Where sin abounds, grace does all the more. Question is today, what team you on? What team you on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, this just, like I said, is a little bridge that you build for those that, Lord, are in Christ, that have opened their heart to you, that believe in their heart and profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. As we get into Romans 6 and 7 and 8, it is just so full of so much good, what you have for those who place their hope, their trust in you. God, I pray today for, for each person here that's in the sanctuary, those that might be watching at home today, that God, we've answered that question, that we're not identifying any longer in who we were. We're not trying to be good enough in order to make it to heaven. Uh, Lord, we get in based on not what we know or what we've done. It's who we know and what you've done for us. And so Lord, help us to grow in the knowledge of your grace and Lord, to receive all that you have for us. Because Lord, if we're ever going to conquer sin in our life, it's going to be because of what you did for us on the cross, not what we would ever do this side of heaven. And so Lord, help us to be humble before you and to appreciate, Lord, what you have done for us. Again, greater is he who's in us than he is in this world. And we love you for that. We thank you for opening our eyes to that truth. Lord, if there's any today that have yet to receive you, don't let them leave this place without praying in their heart. Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for I have known not what I do. And thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. Thank you that you hear my prayer because of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross. Thank you for the forgiveness, Lord, that you offer that covers all my sin. Thank you for the freedom, Lord, that we can enjoy in Jesus Christ. Not just freedom you know, from the past sins, but Lord, power to live victoriously over the present sins. And God, to know one day that God, you are going to remove sin even from our very presence, Lord. And then that day we'll be completely restored just like it was before the fall of man. What a day, a day that will be. And we thank you, Lord, that it's all because of you. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. We give you this day. Be glorified in our lives as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your feet and we'll send you out with words.